It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. To the book of Romans. So thankful that you're here today. Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles this morning. Romans chapter 6. Now, growing up, growing up, um, I'm kind of of that Sesame Street generation. Sesame Street was kind of cool. It's not as cool as it once was, but it's kind of cool. But they had a song that you would listen to on the after-school program or maybe even Saturday mornings. If my mom wanted to punish me, I didn't get to watch the cool cartoons. I had to watch Sesame Street. And that's how you get to Sesame Street is by being bad at the Chadwick house. But one of the songs that they sang is... One of these things is not like the other. And they would have this song and they would sing and there'd be like three things that are similar and one that's different. And it could be shape or sizes or whatever, but one of these things is not like the other one. Now, you know you're getting old because I was telling Natalie and I was really excited about the illustration. And she said, oh, dad, you know, that's a Taylor Swift song. To which I said, the only Taylor Swift thing that I know to do is to shake it off and move forward. Which she was like, yeah, dad, that's going to be funny to like three people. And I prayed sickness on her life. So I'm not sure. We've been studying the book of Romans for quite some time. I think we're like at message 35 in our study. And we've learned a couple of things that there's uh, five divisions in the book of Romans total. And the first three we have already studied, which goes from Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20. That's the first one. It's two and a half chapters long. And it deals primarily with the reality or the subject of judgment. Judgment. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a savior. And it deals primarily with the subject or the context of sin and of judgment. The second division in the book of Romans is found in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through the end of chapter 5, verse 21. So if you found Romans 6, you would see it uh, there in the end of chapter 5. That's the end of the second division in Romans, which basically this is the idea of the second division. The first one of judgment, the second one of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the second division, that salvation is entirely a work of Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No other means of salvation. Then we come, really, to Romans chapter 6. And this is why you've all been coming back, is because you couldn't wait to get to Romans 6. This is like, if I was to say like, Matter of fact, when I started, people were like, well, what passage are you most excited or division are you most excited? Romans chapter 6 and forward. I'm, I'm pumped about. I'm excited about. I, I love this. This is a great, and it's going to be a great study. Today's message will be a little bit more theological to help us in our understanding as the text would require, and then we'll, it will unfold in an amazing way. But it runs three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, and it deals with the moral implications of the gospel or how being a Christian should change our behavior. The moral implications of the gospel 
or how being a Christian will change our behavior. It's a weighty message for a Sunday morning. Kind of more of a Wednesday night or Sunday night message. This passage of scripture, this division, deals with holiness. The word holiness means distinctness. Romans chapter 1 through 3, 118 through 320, 21, we understand this, that we're all sinners, we're the enemies of God, we struggle with God, we're, we're really challenged by that. That's a reality of scripture. Romans chapter, uh, the end of 3 and then 4 and 5, uh, deals with that beautiful subject of the grace of God, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's, a, it's an awesome and wonderful and beautiful and amazing passage of scripture. And, and we're thankful for it, we're humbled by it, we're changed by it. Romans chapter 6, uh, Romans chapter 5, that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. But then Paul enters into, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a very practical passage of Scripture. One that if, if you're a student of church life, like I am, you see that in America today, we really struggle with this. The American church and the Western church, meaning Western Europe and in some ways even into Eastern Europe, we really struggle with the concept of what Paul is talking about. Because Paul is answering a question that is born out of chapter 5, verse number 20, where he's ending this subject on salvation by grace through faith and salvation by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. He's ending that and he's moving into a new section and he really crescendos the whole idea of salvation by grace through faith and only Jesus in verse 20 and 21, where he says in, in Romans 5, 20 and 21, moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. In other words, the point of the law, the point of the Old Testament law was to prove to you and to me that we are sinners, to prove to us that we are in desperate need of salvation. The whole point of the law was to prove you can't keep it. The whole point of the law, the Ten Commandments, really there's 640 of them, was, the whole point of it was to prove that you and I were grossly incapable of keeping the law. That's the whole point of the law. That's so why he says in verse 20, moreover, the law entered that sin might abound. The point of the law is to prove to us that we are desperate sinners. But he goes on and he says, but where sin abounded, where you realize how big of a sinner you are, how major of a sinner you are, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So however major the sin, the grace of God is bigger than the sin. Paul echoes that in Ephesians chapter one, verse number seven, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. I mean, this is major. 
And so Paul is saying to a group of Jews in the church, probably about 40% of the church at Rome, we believe, is Jewish, that the whole point of the law was to prove that you're a sinner, but no matter how much we prove you're a sinner, God's salvific grace is greater than your sin. Oh, man, that's major. What if Jesus said, I'm only dying for the little sinners? I don't know anybody in this room who would qualify. You say, why is that? Because the Bible says if you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. This is where sin did abound. Grace did much more abound. Verse number 20, that as sin hath reigned unto death, or sin always brings death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is writing this, and as he is writing this passage of Scripture, he understands there's going to be some questions. And they're weighty questions. And it's really one question that he's going to answer. I'm not trying to be dramatic this morning. I'll pause to give you time to think. I'll pause to give you time to consider what this means to you. You see, the big idea of this paragraph that Paul is writing in this first paragraph runs through verse number 14. It's broken up into five sections and we'll take our time working through it. And the first part is so powerful that we will spend just our day in verse number six. And Paul is helping us to understand the children of God should act different than the enemies of God. He says in verse number one of chapter six, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You see, here's the reality. Before you came to Christ, if you are saved, and I know not everybody in this room is, but before you came to Christ, the Bible says you were the enemy of God. That's a powerful truth. Turn over with me, if you would, real quick to Romans chapter 3. Probably one page over in your Bible. Verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. Verse number 11, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. That's where we were prior to Christ. That's where we were without Jesus. That's where we were without the conviction of the Spirit of God. But then... Romans chapter 3, the end of it, verse number 22 through 521, the salvation is by grace. You're the enemy of God. You got to work with me here. You're the enemy of God. You're in opposition to God. One of these kids is doing his own thing. You're doing it your own way, going about it your own time. You have no fear of God in your eyes is what he's saying there. And then 
The salvific grace of God, the abundant grace of God comes and rests on the individual and they are, listen to me, gloriously saved. Gloriously saved. They were the enemy and now they're the friend. They were the enemy and the Bible says now they're a family member. They're brothers and sisters with Christ. We were in opposition and now we're going the same direction. We were going a different road and now we're going the same road. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior, the Bible says that all that you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus and he promises promises to give you eternal life. Why? Because no doubt you are a sinner. No doubt you are in need of salvation and no doubt only Jesus Christ can save you. No doubt. But then Paul makes this statement in chapter five, verse 20, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And he answers a question or an objection that some folks might have. And this is the objection that the Jews would have. And this is the out clause from holiness that the Gentiles thought they had. And that is, when I sin and Jesus forgives me, doesn't it bring glory to Christ? When I sin and Jesus forgives me, doesn't it bring glory to Christ? Or we could say it this way. If more sin generates more grace, shouldn't we just sin so the world can see the grace of God? Or it could be said this way. If I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and I can't do anything to earn God's love and forgiveness, why should I try to change? God loves me no matter what I do. After all, he made me this way. Within the church, there would have been former Jews who would have accused Paul of what is called antinomianism. Antinomianism is a false teaching, I actually have a slide for it, is a false teaching that since faith alone is necessary for salvation, one is free from the moral obligations of the law. It's a false teaching that since faith alone is necessary for salvation, one is free from the moral obligations of the law. In other words, it would say something like this. Let me not be ridiculous when it comes to the point of antinomianism. Well, the law says thou shalt not steal, but I have been saved or I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and I think Jesus will love me no matter who I am and what I do. So I'm going to go ahead and steal and God's still going to be fine with that. That is called antinomianism. Uh, We might say it this way. Well, the grace of God is free to everyone, which is true salvifically. The grace of God is free to everyone. And I'm just going to kind of do my thing and, and God will love me no matter what I do. antinomianism. Some people call it cheap grace. Cheap grace. We would use this term maybe. Love wins. 
the love of God just wins every single time. Doesn't matter what you do, love just wins. You say, well, pastor, come on, that's just you. No, no, no. The evil genius of the Romanov family was a man by the name of Rasputin. And he taught and exemplified this doctrine of, he really even said, salvation through repeated experiences of sin and repentance. This is what he said. The more you sin, the more God gives you grace. And so the more you sin and sin with abandon and the more you allow God to exercise his grace, the more you give God glory. He went on to say this, if you're just an ordinary, normal sinner, you don't give opportunity to show God, it's God his glory. So, said Rasputin, be an extraordinary sinner. Sin, sin hard, sin often, so that God can prove that he is a gracious God. Well, does that have any bearing in our day? Oh, sure it does. I would submit to you that this is the greatest problem in the church today. I would submit to you that our church is not divorced from this great problem. Well, I can sin and Jesus is okay. He understands who I am. If you're saved, he does understand who you are and that's why it's not okay to sin. Well, doesn't it bring him glory to forgive me? One of these things is not like the other. See, before salvation, when he saves a soul, there is great glory. And every time he forgives, yes, he receives glory. But we in no way, shape, or form, verse number one, are to continue in sin that his grace might be seen in a lost and dying world. Doesn't it bring him glory though, pastor? No. Romans chapter three through Romans chapter five talks about justification. Romans chapter three and verse number 30 says, seeing it is one God who shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Romans chapter four, verse number two, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Romans chapter five, verse number one, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter five, verse number nine, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. And then the teaching crescendos in chapter five, verse number 20, with moreover, uh, the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The Christian life begins at salvation, but it does not end there. It doesn't end there. Well, I'm saved, I'm good. Not according to this passage of scripture. And not according to the rest of chapter six and all of chapter seven and all of chapter eight and really the totality of the New Testament. So when the question is asked, 
If I sin, won't Jesus forgive me and thereby won't his, his grace be noticed? The question of 20 and 21. And Paul, in a rhetorical way, is answering that question in verse number, 20, or in verse number 1 of, of chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In verse number 2, here's the answer. God forbid. Or absolutely not. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Should, can I sin? No, absolutely not. Sin no longer rules the life of the Christian. Can I keep sinning? Can I keep doing my own thing? I mean, isn't God pleased that I, that I prayed and I asked him into my heart? Is he? Yes, he is pleased. Well, isn't that enough? No, that is not enough. No. He uses this word, God, this phrase, God forbid, verse number two. It's an idiom. It's the strongest reaction possible. It's outraged indignation. Indignation it means to have the, uh, uh, like a, a visible response to it, like you're pushing away. Or, or like if you've uh, ever um, maybe been somewhere and you've seen somebody get sick and, and, and you, you see that, or, or maybe you've seen a gruesome car accident. When you see it, you turn your head. That's the physical response. Indignation, though somewhat different, has a similar physical response. It's like they're turning, no, no, I can't even think about that. Let it not be so. I could never imagine that to happen. That's what Paul is saying. Should we, should we sin that grace may abound? Should we keep on sinning that grace might abound? God forbid, or in no way, or I can't even look at that, or I don't want to see that. I could never imagine that. That's what he's saying. The older generation, the generation that preceded mine, that preceded theirs, that preceded that one. So my great, great, or my great grandmother or grandfather would have said it this way. Perish the thought. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Literally means let that thought die. Can I continue in sin that, that grace may abound? God forbid, perish that thought. No way, shape, or form can I allow that to happen. The, the mere suggestion of that is problematic. Donald, Donald Gary Barnhouse, a preacher of the previous century, was a radio pioneer for preaching, wrote an interesting paragraph regarding this. In part, the paragraph said this, or says this, holiness starts where justification finishes. And if holiness does not start, we have the right to suspect that justification never started either. If holiness doesn't start, we have the right to suspect that justification never started. Why? Well, one of the reasons is this text, another text that would be a parallel or sister passage to this one would be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
If you're in Christ, you're different. You're to be different than you were. You're a new creation. You're not an old creation. You're not the way that you used to be. You've been justified, but there is a product to justification. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. He does everything different than he did before. In, in our text, verse number 12 of Romans 6, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness under, unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. I can't wait to get there. Let me say this. Sin doesn't control you because of the grace of God. Stop letting it control you. He says in verse number 16, know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servant to obey, his servant you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. We understand this without a doubt that you yield yourselves either to righteousness or to sin. It's purposeful on your end. It's intentional on your end. And by the way, understand, you're a sinner. You're a sinner who sins. It doesn't make you any better or worse than anybody in the crowd. We are all that way. You are a sinner. Uh, turn with me real quick, if you would, to 1 John. Towards the end of your Bible, 1 John. First John, John is an old man when he's writing this book. He's probably about 95 years old. He's just finished writing the gospel of John at about 93, 94. He took a writer's break to uh, get relieved from his uh, torturous in uh, time at the Isle of Patmos. Uh, and uh, he, or, or actually it's before his time in Patmos, but he's been through great, great, persecution, and he's writing First John to some churches uh, in Asia Minor, that general area. It's what's called a general epistle, not to one specific per person or church, but to a multiple number of people. And as he is writing, he's helping them to understand something in verse number seven, uh, that we are all sinners. And he brings that about with this phrase. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us, who's the us, all believers everywhere at all time, cleanseth us from all sin. In other words, there's an absolute understanding that we all struggle with sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, he's talking to unbelievers. No, he's talking to believers. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, all personal. We deceive ourselves and his truth is not in us. Verse number nine, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar.
If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He goes on in chapter two, verse number one. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Well, God will love me even if I sin. Well, yeah, when it comes to justification, you're saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Some people who don't want to believe in the doctrine of eternal security will say, well, if you sin, you fall away from Christ. Let me tell you, there's no one in this room who can hold to that standard. We need the grace of God to be the holder and the keeper of our salvation. And it's an eternal salvation. I have everlasting life since June 16th, 1983, when as a 10-year-old boy, I bowed my knee to Jesus Christ in Port Orchard, Washington, and asked Christ to save my soul. I became an eternally living being at that point, and it is not dependent on the behavior. It is not dependent on the actions. It's not dependent on the attitude of Chris Chadwick. It is dependent on the mercy, grace, and power of the creator of the universe, and his wonderful son, Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of the story. My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. Don't sin. Well, God understands. No, he said don't sin. Well, well God and I have a special arrangement. No, you don't. I don't say that would be arrogant. The Bible doesn't give you an out. Well, well, God and I, we, we had a talk. No, no, no. You had a talk with yourself, but God has already answered it very clearly in his word. Don't sin. And you say, well, what if I sin? Well, he goes on to say, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation. That's a fun word to say, but the meaning is far better than the funness of the word. The meaning is he is the substitutionary payment for our sin. A price had to be paid for your sin, a price that you could not pay and that I cannot pay. Some people say, if you want to pay the price for your sin, you'll spend eternity in hell for that. No, 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 that doesn't pay the price at all. You spend a million years in hell. You spend a billion years in hell. You come no closer to paying off that debt. You, you never pay off the debt of your sin. You and I can't do it. Jesus Christ is the only means of our sin debt being paid. He's the only means of that. Not you going to a confession, not you praying to a priest, not you hanging out with a monk, not you studying karma, not you burning incense, not you ignoring the things of scripture and thinking like, I'll just deny it. Won't matter at all in eternity. Don't say that to be arrogant for a second. I'm just saying it won't matter at all in eternity. No, you were created with a body, a soul, and your spirit, and your body will die, your soul, and your spirit will live on for eternity. And Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin. And not for yours only, but also the sin of the whole world. I'm thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ isn't limited to a select few of people. Somebody should say amen right there. I'm thankful that it's not limited to a select group of people. You say, well, how would you feel if it was only limited to you? I'm just telling you right now, I wouldn't know it was limited to me because I know me and I think Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't like me very well. 
but also the sin of the whole entire, that's what the word whole means, entire world or cosmos or creation, Jesus died for you. He died for you. He says, how shall we, verse number two, that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Can I just keep sinning and God be okay with that? Absolutely not, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? God has released those for whom Christ died from sin's power. So they should not continue to live under sin's control. He's released them from sin's power. So they should not continue to live under sin's control. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, can I just tell you, sin no longer rules your life. You don't have to continue to live under its control. Don't believe the lie of Satan. Well, I just have to do this. I felt like this this thing just pushed me that direction. I I couldn't stop. I was under the control. No, no, no. You're no longer under the control of sin. You are dead to sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The Bible says in other places, consider yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're, leave that up for a minute. You're dead to the power and control of sin. Well, what do you mean by that? Let me illustrate. It's a generic sophomoric illustration, but I like those because that's how I think. Bernie's just gonna be Bernie. Sinful, wicked, ungodly Bernie. All right? We're gonna do pre-salvation illustration. I'm going to be sin. All right? Burn's going to be burn. I'm going to be sin. All right? are, are you with me now? You can't mess this up. or it's get your, You'll never get the theology class credit if you mess this one up. You have to take the whole class over again. All right? So burn is, Bernie, I am sin. Prior to salvation, I control him. What do you mean? Well, where I take him, he goes. Well, can't he fight against you? Yeah, but it's a losing effort. Well, what do you mean? Well, don't. Don't even try. He goes to a support group, tries for a little while. I'm for him. Don't get me wrong. But he tries for a little while. And I just... I don't know if you like fishing, but if you really enjoy fishing and you just want to have fun, you'll try to fish some bigger fish with a really light line. 
And you'll just have fun with the fish. Those of you that are really good fishermen, you know what I'm talking about. You don't wanna, you don't wanna just use a heavy line to bring a fish in. You wanna enjoy the fight a little bit. You wanna, you wanna see how, how big of a fish you can catch on a light line. So you wanna catch like a 15 pound trout on what's called a two pound test. You do that, you're a fisherman. There's probably very few people in this room, including this preacher who could do that. I don't think I could do that. Uh, for a 15 pound trout, I need steel brain line just to bring that puppy in. Uh, but but say, sin just burns trying to get away. Okay, okay you want to go over there? You want to try that church for a little while? Okay, yeah. Uh, you know what? It's Friday night. Just got paid. The party's on. Let's get it on. We're going to the nightclub at the gas lamp. We're going to get lit up, laid, and have fun. You say, oh, Pastor, were you following me Friday night? No, I just know what sin does. I just know what sin does. Next week, I'm going to church Sunday. I got to repent from Friday and Saturday. And I'm just going to go back and I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep doing. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to call my mentor. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to go to a sauna. I'm doing CrossFit. I'm smoking incense. I'm taking CBD. I'm, I'm doing whatever they take. I'm watching Anthony Robbins. I'm doing Jane Austen's Thigh Master. I got it all going. I'm trying everything. And then Friday night, sin's like, nah. Mm-mm. I still got you. Oh, oh, let's do this illustration. I'm going to try real hard to be obedient to my parents and follow what they say and get good grades and do good in school and not watch porn and, 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 and really live my life so I could be a productive member of society. I'm going to keep doing that. Oh, son, I know you're a teenager, but you don't try, haven't trusted Christ. You're still under my control. Oh, because we often think this is about sensual and drinking and drugs. Let's do this one. I'm not going to be depressed anymore. 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 I'm just going to, I got quotes on my wall. I'm taking a sun bath every day. I got a cold shower routine and I'm drinking mud water with mushrooms in the morning, baby. I have tried, I figured this out. And then something comes in your life and this is what Jesus, this is what sin does. No, we're going right back here. Why? Because of the power of sin. Because of the power of sin. See, if you don't have Christ as your savior, it's hopeless. You're literally under the power of sin. But I don't wanna be controlled by sin. Well, unless you come to Christ as your savior, it doesn't matter. Now listen, I'm not saying that because I like figured this out, but I have figured it out through the word of God. Jesus figured it out. Jesus has done the work. Well, well, how does Jesus read? Well, look at Romans chapter one. Uh, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I'm not under the power of sin anymore. Sin no longer rules in my life. Sin is a resident in my world, but it does not rule my life. Now, here's what it looks like after salvation. Before salvation, I'm controlled. But after salvation, I make decisions. That's why verse number 16, 
Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself, servant to obey, is servant you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness? Now, Friday night at the gas lamp getting lit up, now I'm making the choice to come here. No, no. Now I'm making the choice. Now I'm ignoring the, this is what chapter 6 is talking about, verse 1 and 2 are talking about, the sanctifying grace of God that gives me victory over sin. Well, pastor, are you saying it's easy and I don't struggle? No, no, come on. We already studied 1 John, didn't we? We're going to sin. Did I not say that? I think I said that. Matter of fact, I said it and I quoted it and I even tried to illustrate it a little bit. Yes, we're, we're going to sin. But we're not going to sin because sin has power over us anymore. We're sinning because sin influences us and we yield to the influence. That's why holiness, listen to me, holiness, which is what this passage is talking about, controls what, it, uh, what we allow to influence us. Yeah. Before salvation, depression, de- let's just do that one for a minute. Depression, depression, depression. Saved, released from the power of depression. Can somebody say amen to that? Released from that power. But then... I still have influences that would lead me to that. It's not like when you got saved, people stopped getting depressed or the world became a better place. Or if you struggle with alcohol, it's not like every liquor store closed down, though I pray that they will every time I drive past them and I hope you do too. You say, why do you do that? Because I love Jesus. I should have heard more amens right there. It's not like that doesn't influence us. And so... As a follower of Jesus Christ, holiness, again, this is what we're talking about here. Sanctification is just another word for sanctification. We could use that word, but it means the same thing. Set apart, distinct, separate, separated under the Lord's use. It all means the same thing. Sanctification prevents me from allowing things and people in my life that would encourage me to yield to sin. Oh, uh, let me illustrate this way. Now, I'm in danger here. You ready? I'm going to walk a tightrope and I'm intentionally going to fall off at some point. Bernie and I went um, paddleboarding for the first time ever in Hawaii. We went with our former staff member, Trey Williams. Let me just tell you, burn is like a fish out of water on a paddleboard, literally. I mean, that dude is just going all over um, Ala Moana Park on his paddleboard, like high five. He started doing yoga on a paddleboard. I mean, you should have seen that. Downward dog, up. I mean, it was, um, it was not amazing. It was quite disturbing, but it was really cool. It was really cool. He had his little hat on out there. It was, that was a creepy thing. No dude should wear a hat in the water. He's like, well, I didn't want a sunburn. Okay, well, go back in, grandpa. Um, but he, he did great. Me on a paddleboard, uh, 
Let's just say they don't make paddle boards for guys my weight. And if they do, I haven't found it yet. And if you find it, please don't give it to me. Because after falling off about time 412, I just went snorkeling because you're already under the water anyway. I told a funny story and I forgot my point. I hate it when that happens. Burn. or you, or I, I, when we sin, we do so because we choose what we allow to influence us. If you struggle with depression and you watch, I don't know, or listen to, and I'm doing a lot of study on this, like true crime podcast, or you have fear, they're like the most popular podcast in the world right now, literally, and, and you struggle with fear and you're listening to that. God's not giving us a spirit of fear and you're allowing things into your life that should not have power over you, listen to me, but they do because you're giving them power that they used to have that they should no longer have. Or, or like if your marriage is really struggling and you talk to friends who don't encourage your marriage and then your marriage struggles more and then it discourages more and struggles more and discourages more, well, you're bringing, you're allowing a power of sin in your life that God does not want you to have that if you will trust in the grace of God and holiness, you would step away from those influences in your life and you could live in the joy and peace that comes with Christ. Christ alone. I mean, come on, Galatians chapter 5, verse number uh, 19. I just want to read this. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, reveling of such like, which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul is saying. There's this whole list of works of the flesh. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, they don't have power over you, but they do have influence. If you're living in them, listen to me, it is because you are yielding control to people or things you should not allow to control your life. I, I, May was Mental Health Awareness Month. We did, had a couple Sundays. Man, those guys did a stellar job. So helped by those messages. They were so good. So good. But can I say this in addition to everything they said? That the reason so often that we struggle, and I'm not saying you don't need help. Don't believe that for a second. But the reason so often, not every time, but so often that we struggle with mental health, lack of peace, discouragement, defeat, and all of that is we yield to things God's told us not to yield to. Amen. (sighs) 
We're surrendered to things we're not supposed to be surrendered to. God has forgiven you. God has changed you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14 says, the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. How's the believer supposed to live? Unto themselves? No, no, no. We should not live unto ourselves. Why? Because he died for us. Don't live for yourself. Well, how do I live? Unto Christ who died for you and rose again? That's, that's how we live. That's the product of justification. Well, Pastor, you don't seem to understand how bad I was or everything that I did or the weight of my sin. You're right, I don't. But the blood of Jesus Christ, we already read it, cleanseth us from all sin. All of it. You're not bound by that anymore. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This was your nature. This is who you were. This is how people viewed you. This is what people said about you. This is what people thought about you. But now you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you're a new creation. You're new in Christ. Listen to me. You're not that person anymore. You're not known in heaven by that sin anymore. Stop doing it. We're going to get, I'm gonna, I, I, one of my favorite Words in the Bible is found in verse number 16. Or phrases. Know you not? That to whom you yield yourself servant to obey is servant you are to whom you obey? Whether sin unto death and obedience unto righteousness? I'm going to say this again. So when I say it again, don't say like, hey, you said that before. I'm telling you before I say it once, I'm going to say it twice. Okay? Are you with me? Thanks for the support. Know you not? Paul said, this is what it means. You tell me you didn't see that coming? You tell me you didn't see that happening? We had a youth car wash here at Canyon Ridge yesterday. Man, teenagers, I thought you guys did great. Especially when your pastor came in. Just motivated you with some cool uncle barking. And uh, it was great. But every year at a car wash, and, and this is year number 30 for me to be involved in a car wash or something like that. And every year at a car wash, there'll always be that kid. And it's normally either a junior high boy or a girl or a senior high girl who's really into like makeup and stuff. And they'll do the car wash and about 30 seconds into the car wash, they have a meltdown. And this is what they always say. I can't believe I got wet. No, you're not that to whomever car you wash, you will become a product like the wetness of the car? Are you thinking you're gonna wash the car and stay dry? Well, I didn't, this is what I hear. I, Pastor, I didn't think I'd get this wet. Oh, uh, and I'm normally the hose guy. 
Oh, you're not even close to wet. How wet can I get? No, you're not. Or like a child who goes outside and you tell them like, don't get dirty. We're getting ready to go to church or the restaurant or grandma's house or whatever the case may be. And you go outside and they're filthy. And a mom, my mom, you say, what did you do? And you say to your mom, I couldn't have imagined. I didn't, I didn't think I would get dirty. My mom would say something like this. What were you thinking? What were you thinking is what's called a transliteration of, no, you're not. Don't you understand that to whom you yield yourself, servant to obey, is servant you are to whom you obey? The product of justification. I am not what I was. I am new in Christ. Therefore, I should not live like I lived. I should live like I'm in Christ. Okay. I shouldn't go back as a dog returns to her vomit, for those of you that want to be really biblical, and live the way that I used to live. No, no, no. I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I'm new in Christ. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away. Sin doesn't have power over me anymore. No, I'm alive in Christ. That's where I should live. Well, why should I live there? Well, because there's nothing for me here. There's bondage, depression, defeat. There, there, there's tumult. There's, there's heartache. There's heartbreak. There's violence. There's wickedness. There's emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, uh, adultery, fornication, murder, inordinate affection, idolatry, lasciviousness. Everything bad is here and everything good is here. Why then? Why then? Would I live in a state of sin? Well, I just think it'd be more fun. Adultery, fornication, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, depression, defeat, discouragement, hatred, animosity, violence, depression, uh, all kinds of illnesses and addictions. You think that is better than what Paul contrasts Galatians 5 with? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and faith and temperance. Against such there is no law. There's nothing against anything that is here. Well, I, I, I want love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance, all of that, but I want it my own way. It doesn't come that way. Well, how does it come? When I yield my life to Jesus Christ. John Newton was a man well-known today. When he was a teenager, he ran away from his home in England and he joined the crew of a slave ship ferrying slaves between the British Empire and Africa, really taking them from Africa to the British Empire and India to the British Empire. After working on that slave ship, something happened and he was himself sold to a slave trader and his African wife, and he experienced tremendous abuse, nearly starved to death. His only food was whatever the wife had left over and wild yams that he could dig up. 
He escaped from there and he lived with a group of Africans for a while in a native village and eventually managed to leave there and join a ship. Long story short, he became a ship captain himself and a very, very vile, ungodly man. But in 1748, he was miraculously saved, miraculously. He returned to England and became a tireless minister of the gospel as a church member and a selfless servant of Christ, just faithful to the Lord. He left for us many great hymns and his most well-known, maybe the most well-known hymn in the world today and for many years, Amazing Grace. John Newton later became the pastor of a church in England and to this day, the church carries an epitaph that Newton himself wrote. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. How could such a debauched, self-proclaimed enemy of the faith eventually preach the gospel and say like the apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse number 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for he hath counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor injurious but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. How could Paul have addressed the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9, when he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says this to the church at Corinth, And such were some of you. How could Paul address them? Because of the last part of verse number 11. But you are washed. He told them, you are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. You see, the children of God should act different from the enemies of God. Well, pastor, why would you preach a message like this? Well, number one, because we're studying the book of Romans verse by verse, and it's just in the text, and I don't really have authority to change that. But secondly, as one author said, we have a natural drift from holiness. People don't drift toward holiness apart from a grace divine effort. People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstitions and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we've been liberated. Many of you are saved, and you have great joy in knowing Christ. 
But are you different from the enemies of God? Would your neighbors say that? Are you different from the people who don't know Christ? Would your coworkers say that? Is your life the product of justification? Or is it not? We drift towards godlessness. Know you not? Oh, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Perish the thought. Let it not be. Absolutely not. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Christian, are you dead to sin? Or are you comfortable? Teenager? I'm good. I'm good with the things that I watch, see, and do. Really? Is God good with that? Has God affected your speech, your thinking, your attitude, what you watch? We've never seen wickedness over the airwaves like we're seeing right now. Never. I'm not trying to be an old-fashioned, fuddy-dud guy. I'm just telling you, we've never seen it. Never. Live in a vile world. Does it affect those things? It should. And if it doesn't, God is calling us to a place of repentance. Repentance just means I'm turning from that and I've been reawakening, a reawakening to the call for holiness in my life and separation in my life. That's the call of the hour. Father, bless our time. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.